So I'm confused. Who, who's on first? Anybody want to answer that one for me? I'm kidding. But you can see where they might have been confused. Uh, you know, names are an important thing. You ever thought about how we would interact with one another if we didn't have names? I know that sounds like a toddler question. Like your three-year-old would say, Dad, what if we didn't have names? And then you'd get into that kind of conversation with a three-year-old about how we've always had names. And the, but if, if you didn't have a name to get someone's attention, how would you get their attention? Hey, you over there? Hey, buddy? I mean, some of us do that anyway because we don't know other people's names like that we should know, like here at church or on a job or, you know, somebody that we work with or on a team or whatever. And so we come up with some, like, generic way to get their attention. Hey, pal, right? Maybe if you were raised in church like me, you would just have that really easy, like, cover-up that, you know, everybody did and it was acceptable, and so you called everybody brother or sister, right? And then if you learned their last name, then you just keep that, and so it would be Brother Isaacs and Sister Isaacs and, uh, hey, hey, man of God, because you didn't know their name. They weren't a man of God. They were the biggest sinner in the church, but you didn't know their name, so you had to call them something, Right? Because all we would be left with without names would be descriptors, right? Hey, Blondie, right? I mean, we have no idea how we would interact with one another without the names that we are given. My name is Jeremy. My name is not Jeremiah, contrary to popular belief. And I know some of you have the spiritual gift of being a smart aleck. So just by me saying my name is not Jeremiah, you will now probably call me Jeremiah. (laughs) But my name is Jeremy, always has been. And my name in 2013, the name Jeremy, was the 159th most popular boy's name given to new baby boys in the United States. For those that are interested, in 2013, that was the 498th most popular boy's name in England. It was the 174th most popular name in France and the 376th most popular name in the Netherlands, if you're interested. The most popular years for the name Jeremy were 1976 and 1977 when the name Jeremy was the 14th and 15th most popular boy's name given to new baby boys. And interestingly to me, which I cannot fathom this, but in the year of 1977, the name Jeremy was the 983rd most popular girl's name. So if you know any 37-year-old women in the United States with the name Jeremy, you know that their parents just lacked creativity there. Names don't carry as much weight today as they used to. You know, I, I think if, if I was born in the days of the Bible, if I was born in those days, I would have known from birth that my name Jeremy meant something like God will uplift. But my mom never did that. She never told me that. My dad didn't just walk by and say, hey, God will uplift. He called me Jeremy, right? Because I feel like every person that I'm introduced to in Scripture, I immediately, after learning their name, learned what their name meant for some reason. And that these people would walk around and they would build an altar and they would name it something. And the Bible writers would say, which meant whatever. And they would tell me what that name meant, why that name was given to that place that they would celebrate or that they would worship or that they would be reminded of the things that God had done. I think we, we read these stories of these people in Scripture and they have a new child and they name that child something and then we're told why they named them that. If, if Corey and I tried to tell you why we named our four kids, Cooper, Branson, Tucker, and Kinley, you would think we're crazy. We, we had some just really random reasons. It wasn't anything God-inspired. We didn't name Cooper that because, you know, Jehovah shone the light on us. And I think we were walking through a house we liked, and we saw the name on the wall. And 
that sounded good to us. And there wasn't anything specifically special about some of the names that we gave to our kids. But I think in the days of Scripture, it seemed like everybody's name meant something. And everybody's name had a greater purpose just beyond calling them by that name. God was involved, it seemed, in the naming of people. He was involved in the interaction of people's names. And then there were those stories where God got really involved in the names of people. Today we begin a brand new series where we're going to kind of look at some names for the next four weeks. We're going to start a series today called Change, this idea of becoming who God says we are. And we're going to look at four people in Scripture who had their name changed by God and what that name change actually represented in their life. And, and I, I sent a video email out this week. Hopefully you got that. If not, we may not have your email address. But I sent that out because I've been so excited about this series. The way we do our sermon planning is we kind of sit down in the fall of a year and we map out what we're going to preach for the next year. So about a year ago, Pastor Mark, our senior pastor for both Mount Perry and North locations, and myself and some other guys that are a part of our staff who are part of our teaching team and some of our creative team, we sat down and we mapped out pretty much what we were going to preach in all of 2014. Now, that's subject to change. At any point, we feel like the Lord's leading us in a different direction. We change it. But for us to be able just to plan and kind of prepare, we go ahead and map that out. And I knew about a year ago that we were doing these four weeks this fall. And I promise you, you can ask any member of our staff or my wife, I came out of that meeting about 360 days ago, and I was so excited about this series because I believe there is incredible potential in the four stories that we're going to look at over the next four weeks. And so I told you in the video email, I want you to try to make plans to be here beginning today all the four weeks of September. And I know there's a lot of things coming up. If you've got kids, you've got a fall break coming up here for Cherokee County, and you may have plans, and I understand that, and the weather eventually is going to get nice and feel like fall right now. It feels like the middle of July in hell, but I know eventually it's going to get cooler, and it's going to feel like September, and you're going to want to skip church and go do something nice in the weather. I'm encouraging you to do that after church and come and be with us, and not just that, but I'm encouraging you to bring some people with you over the next four weeks that you believe need to hear these stories of Scripture that really signify life change and the things that God can do in and through his people. Today we're looking at a person in Scripture that is pretty well known. His name is Abram in Genesis chapter 15. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there with me. We're going to kind of hang out right there in Genesis 15, 16, and 17. Abram is a person in scripture who we are going to kind of walk with him through his interaction with God and the name change that takes place. You have probably heard him referred to as Abraham, Father Abraham maybe, um, and this is the same guy. And in Genesis chapter 15, God shows up in a vision and begins speaking to Abram. And he talks to him a little bit about the goodness that he, God, had given to and expressed to Abram. And then this interesting interaction happens where Abram starts to really talk back to God. He really challenges God where God is saying, hey, I've been good to you and look who I am and look how you're supposed to respond to me. Abram challenges him in that. And this is what he says in Genesis 15, beginning in verse 3. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. 
And this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to, uh, if you are able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. So Abram's saying to God, God's talking about, hey, I've been good to you and you should respond to me in that way. And Abram challenges him and says, no, but listen, you want to talk about being good to me? I don't have any offspring. I don't have any kids. In a culture, in a society where the blessings of God are signified in the ways that you give to me children and there's heirs for me for my line to continue on even after my passing, I have no heirs. I have no children. The next of kin for me who is not even a part of my family, I'm not responsible for him being a part of the earth. He's my next of kin. He will be my heir. If I die, he gets all my stuff and he gets all my blessings. And you want to talk to me about being good, God? You haven't given me any children. And guess what God does? God gets angry and he gets mad and he pouts that Abram would respond to him in that way. And Abram would how dare him share his actual... No, God doesn't. You know what God does? He's okay. God does not get his feelings hurt when you are honest with him. Some of us feel like we've got to approach God with this really timid shy, I can't really tell God how I'm feeling, I can't really express the anger or the emotions that I have, I can't, no, the Bible talks about coming boldly before the throne. Yesterday I was sitting at our kitchen table, and our kids were all throughout the house playing, the boys were outside, I think, playing with their friends in the yard, and Kenley, our daughter who's three, was dressing up. She had on a Princess Sophia dress, and she had on a Princess Sophia amulet, and she had put on these sandals that looked like Princess Sophia, and I think she had gotten into her mom's makeup, and she had lip gloss pretty much all over the lower half of her face. And I'm sitting there. No one, you know, Corey's sitting there too, and we've been talking, and, and I did what I do a lot of times when I'm, you know, nothing major's happening. I took out my phone, and I'm, you know, checking email, or I'm responding to a text message. I'm just kind of scrolling through social media, seeing what's happening, and I had my phone out like this, and Kenley walks up to me, does not say a word, three years old. She walks up to me. She takes my phone. She sits it on the table, grabs my hands, and says, Dad, come dance with me. Okay, let me just tell you. <laughs> I danced with her. She wasn't shy about walking up to me, and she, I could have been responding to the President of the United States who had emailed me about an important you know, national security. She had no clue. She didn't care. You know, Obama emails me from time to time. I could have been responding to a prayer request that you had, that you had texted me about or emailed to the church about or Something that you posted on Facebook or something. I, I could have been doing anything. I could have been calling somebody. Somebody. She didn't care. She walked up as my daughter and took my phone out of my hand and laid it on the table and said, Dad, dance with me. I think that's what God wants us to do. Maybe not dance. I'm not a good dancer. I'm kind of like Kevin James and Hitch, you know, I just kind of live right here, you know, 10 and 2, none of this, just right here, you know, this is kind of where I'm at all the time. But I think God wants us to be honest. I think God wants us to interact with him in ways that really reflect who we are in our heart. God would say, listen, if I'm talking to you about how good I am to you and you think I haven't been good to you, say that. Be bold. Be honest, because here's the reality. He knows how you feel anyway. 
You can't hide what you feel from God anyway. He knows anyway. And yet we feel like we're supposed to, you know, only pray in really proper King James words. Thou, O Lord, are a shield about me. (laughs) Who talks like that? No, I think we're supposed to do what Abram did and say, God, you want to talk about being good? I don't have a child. You haven't been good to me. I have no heir. A nephew, a distant nephew that I don't even like. I don't like his parents. I don't like him. He gets all of my stuff when I die. God, I'm talking about being good. And guess what God does right here to Abram that I think he does to you and I? He just responds. He just continues in this conversation. Prayer is not a one-sided, we throw all of our needs up to God and then go and do something else. Prayer is a conversation with God. It's two-sided. It's us expressing out of our heart the things that we want God to know and God responding to us. And so God responds back and says, this man, this distant nephew, he will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven. And number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. God says, you're going to have a son. He says, not only are you going to have a son, you go out and look at the stars and look in the sky and you see what's happening up there and you see the number that exists up there, so shall your offspring be. And that's a great story and it's easy for us to read about. But imagine living that. As an old man who had a wife that was barren, could not produce children for him, to hear God say, you're going to have a son, and not only are you going to have a son, you're going to have offspring that outnumber the stars in the sky. You ever been there? You ever been in this place where God promised something to you, or you read something in Scripture, or you heard us sing, and I just referenced some things as we were in our our prayer time, talking about trusting God, when maybe the circumstances, the things that you see with your eyes do not match. They do not connect to the things that you believe God's promised to you. You read the Bible and you see that God is good and that God has a plan for you, according to Jeremiah 29, 11, as it relates to the story that he's talking about, the plan that he has for his children, his people there in that context. You read in Romans chapter 8 that God works together all things for good, and you see these bad things that are taking place in your life and in the world. You go, I don't, I don't see how that's connected. I think that's probably what Abram was experiencing. Even when he's connected back or he's, he's responded back to God, I think he's responded and God responds to him. And it's awesome because it kind of builds his faith maybe. But I think we read in Genesis 16 that Abram still doesn't see how God's going to do it. Because his wife, Sarai, who is barren, who cannot have children, she doesn't believe either that God could take Abram and Sarai and actually produce a child because they're too old and and time has already shown that they can't have children together. And so Sarai says, okay, here's what I'm going to do, Abram. I'm going to give you my servant, Hagar. And and I'm going to give her to you so that she can help produce a child for you. And sure enough, that happens. She has a son named Ishmael. And Ishmael is the son to Abram, except that it's not the way that God intended, and it's not the way that God had planned. And so we're going to read in just a minute that eventually God reiterates his promise, and God changes Abram's name to Abraham, and Abraham and now Sarah, who he also renamed, have a child named Isaac. And so now you have Ishmael. This son that was given to Abram outside of the plans of God. 
Because Abram got in a hurry and didn't trust God to come through on his promise. And then you have the promised child of Isaac who God brought together through the union of Abraham and Sarah just in the way that he had promised he would. And now you have Ishmael and Isaac. And Isaac, through his father, father Abraham, that's the line that produces the Jewish people. And even today, those Jewish people exist because of the promise of God through Abraham and through his son Isaac. And yet there is this line also that comes from the lineage of Abram through Ishmael. And I don't know if you've been reading the news lately or watching anything on the news, but in that story, what happens, if you continue to read, is that Isaac and Ishmael and their descendants begin fighting with one another. I don't know if you've ever had a brother or a stepbrother, and you see how maybe sometimes it's difficult to get along. So they start fighting. Well, guess what? The Jewish people of today are fighting with a group of people as well. The last few weeks, we've seen some of that taking place and rockets being fired and people invading territory. You are watching the story of Isaac and Ishmael. The Jewish people through the line of Isaac and those non-Jews through the line of Ishmael who are so close in heritage can't get along because they are still fighting over their father's blessing. It's the story that's playing out today, and it could have been avoided, except that Abram got in a hurry and didn't trust God. And here's what I would say to you. Maybe you have some things that you're trusting God for. Maybe you have some things that you want to happen in your life. I, I referenced it a little while ago in that prayer time, and maybe, maybe you just want and want and want to be in a relationship, but you're single right now. You say, man, I really desperately want to be in a relationship. That's awesome. But you can't afford to get in a hurry and be in the wrong relationship. It'll cost you way more than you think it will. And I think the story of Abram and Ishmael tells us that. I know you say, man, I, I desperately want a job, but I don't know that you can afford to be in the wrong job. Because sometimes we get in a hurry. I mean, we read time and time and time again about these people in Scripture who wanted to believe God, wanted to trust God, and tried to reach out there and make that future for themselves. We see Moses, who from birth was this promise of God to deliver his people. And he's raised in Pharaoh's house through an awesome series of events. And he walks out one day and he sees his people, one of his own, being beaten by one of Pharaoh's men, and he goes out thinking that this might be how God is going to use him to protect his people, and he goes out and he kills the guy, and then he buries him, and then what happens? The next day, he goes out and he sees it, and he didn't think anybody saw what happened as he was beating that Egyptian and eventually killing him, but somebody said, what are you going to do? You're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday, and Moses is afraid, and Moses runs out into the desert, and he spends decades in the desert running from his past. Because he got in a hurry and he didn't trust God. My fear for some of us is that we want to trust God, but only as far as our own efforts can take us. Like I'm willing to trust God if I'm still able to produce the results that I think are what God was saying about me. Like God's going to bless my finances as long as I'm the one doing with my own hands, producing, and I think it's about what I can produce I want God to bless my marriage, but it's only through my efforts and it's only what I can take, you know, I want to be happy, but it's only when I try to go outside of the plans of God and I get in a hurry. I 
promise you, you can't afford to get in a hurry, not trust God and try to produce those things on your own. I think you will end up with an Ishmael. And I think that you will forever be fighting against the poor decision that you made because you just wouldn't wait on God to fulfill his promise. And that's pretty much the story of Genesis 16. And then we come to Genesis 17. We're going to read a big chunk of text right here, beginning in verse 3. God again comes to Abram and speaks to him in Genesis 17, verse 3. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Look at that, that present tense. I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Skip to verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she shall become nations. King of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Stop right here. Here's what, here's what Abraham is doing. He's saying, God, I believe what you're saying, but I guess you're talking about through Ishmael here. So bless Ishmael and bless his line and allow this multitude of nations you're talking about to come through Ishmael. And this is what God responds. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. For his offspring after him. God renames Abram, Abraham. He renames him. But guess what he does when he renames him? Again, you and I might not know this except for the writer here helping us to understand. He renames him with a name that does not reflect his present circumstances. The word Abram, this word that he was called, this name that he was called, it means exalted father. It actually references back to Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, where we are introduced to who Abram even is. This is what it said. This is not on the screen. It said, now these are the generations of Terah. This is a royal line among the people that, that are of that day. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. So the name Abram is actually connected to the royal line that he was born into. And his name Abram means exalted father, which means he has stature. He has a status among the people there, and people would have known that. They would have had no problem calling him Abram because they understood the family that he came from. It's like being a Kennedy or something in that day. Right? He, he was connected to a line that meant something. But God says, you will no longer be called by that name. I'm going to call you something different. I'm going to call you Abraham. The name Abraham actually means father of the multitudes. Father of a multitudes of nations. Now think about this. God changed his name, but his circumstances had not changed yet. He was still Abram and Sarah who couldn't have a child. And yet Abraham, meaning father of the multitudes, Sarah, meaning the mother of the multitudes, the promise of blessing of child. And yet his circumstances hadn't changed. 
what if God's name for you and what if God's name for me wasn't about who we used to be, but about who we're becoming? What if God's name for you is about the promises he has for your future? What if when God looks at you, he doesn't just look at you through the past mistakes that you've made, through the disappointment of your past, through the uncertainty of your present, but he looks at you and calls you by a name that represents the potential that he sees in you. I think that's what I see in the story. Because I can imagine this playing out. Abram probably had friends like I've got. Smart Alex. Who would see him walking down the road and he says, Hey, listen, my name's not Abram anymore. God actually told me that he wants everybody to call me Abraham now. It's not about me looking back to the royal line that I come from. It's about looking forward to the descendants that I will have. And they know that this 100-year-old man doesn't have any kids, at least not through Sarah. They heard this story about Hagar and him kind of getting together, and there's Ishmael over here, but he's kind of the, the black sheep of the family, and maybe you know Hagar and Ishmael even ran away for a little while, and they're not really sure what happened there. But when they look at Abraham and Sarah, they know that there's nothing happening there. There's no kids, there's no blessing of God, and now he wants us to call him the father of the multitudes. And so I can see Abraham walking down the road and his friends saying, Hey, Abram! Abram! And it takes everything within him not to turn back and say yes and answer to the name of who he was. But he just keeps walking until those friends of his say, Oh, that's right. Abraham! And he turns. And he responds to the name of what he will be that does not match who he currently is. He responds to a name that means father of the multitudes, and yet there are no children running through the hallways of his home. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 tells me faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. I heard a story one time that's not really in this specific context, but I think it fits. Imagine if you were driving down the road today when you leave this place. And you pass a local gas station and you see a guy there, a young man, standing there pumping gas. And as you look a little closer, you see that he's standing there pumping gas in a tuxedo. And you say, wow, he's a little overdressed to be pumping gas. And you see him standing there and you see him pumping that gas in a tuxedo, and you can't really connect the dots because what you don't know is that he's headed to the prom. And when he gets there, he's dressed appropriately for the prom, but he's probably a little overdressed to be pumping gas. The problem you and I have is that we only have a limited understanding of the circumstances that we see in other people. But God sees our future And he clothes us in what we will need to be prepared when we get there. David showed up to the army and Goliath's out there yelling and wanting someone to come and fight him. And Saul tries to put him in his own armor. It doesn't fit. Because Saul is trying to equip him with what he thinks he'll need. But David knows through his faith in God and the experience that he's had with God that God has equipped him with everything that he needs through a slingshot. 
you and I try to put the pieces together sometimes. We try to make it all make sense in our head, and yet we come to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, this often quoted verse. I mean, there are memes of this all over Facebook. You have it on a coffee mug in your house right now. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Some translations say, he will direct your path. We don't have trouble believing God wants to direct our path. We have trouble believing that we can trust in him and lean not into our own understanding. We want it to all make sense in our head before we'll take the first step. I believe that God is saying, will you trust me enough to go when you don't know where you're going? This is the story of Abram. God called him and said, it's time to move. Abram said, great, where are we moving to? God said, I'll tell you when you get there. I've always loved this story. I've even said it from the stage because I can imagine him having that conversation with his wife. Hey, honey, load up the camels. We're moving. Great, where are we going? Uh, I'll tell you when we get there. I mean, you, you don't want to tell me now? I can't really tell you now. Don't really know where we're moving yet. Well, how, how do you know it's time to move? Well, God said it's time to move. Where did he say we were going? He told us he would tell us when we get there. (laughs) Abram trusted. That when it was time to go, it was time to go, even if we didn't know where we're going. That he couldn't put in the ending destination on his GPS to figure out how to get there. Because he didn't even know where there was. He just trusted God and leaned not into his own understanding, but in all of his ways, submitted to God. God directed his path. I love these stickers. Say, hello, my name is. You know, you wear these when you go to parties or you go to something where people don't know everybody in the room. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to write your real first name on there. That seems way too boring for me. So when I show up and I find these stickers, I always write something completely different. It's never Jeremy. I always write like I'm with her. Or it says, hello, my name is, and I write, my name is what, my name is what, or something like that. I, I just, it's, it's way too boring just to write your own name, but what you're supposed to do is write your name. But if you walked into a room where no one knew you, you could actually write anything that you wanted to, which I've done. Fred. Hello, my name is Fred. Hello, my name is Steve. Maybe a woman in the room would like to just write, my name is Jeremy. I was born in 1977. It was the 983rd most popular female name of that year. And guess what? If nobody in the room knows you, they have to call you by that name because that's all they have to go on. They just, they just look and they go, okay, your name is Fred. Your name's Steve. Hey, how you doing, Fred? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you? Right? Because you can only go off of what's written on here. What if we lived our lives thinking that we had that kind of freedom to declare our identity? What if we were confident enough in the promises of God that we wrote down the name that God had declared about us even when it didn't match our present circumstances? Instead of writing, hello, my name is Abram. Exalted father because of the past that I have. I want you to refer to me as Abraham. The father of the multitudes. 
And yeah, sure, if you ask me about it, I can't tell you that I actually have that promised child yet. Isaac's not here yet. And he's got no other brothers and sisters, and he has no descendants of his own. And so, you know, really to be the fulfillment, there would really have to be no stars in the sky for Isaac eventually to outnumber the stars in the sky. But God said it, and so I'm going to believe it. And so, hello, my name is Father of the Multitudes. I just wrote down a few examples. Maybe this connects to your present circumstances and the promises that God might have about you. And I'm not just talking about what you hope to happen, what you want to happen, but what you really believe God has said to you. You say, hello, I, I may not have kids yet, but my name is Dad. My name is Mom, because God has promised that to me. Hello, I, I'm not even married yet, but my name is Husband. My name is Wife. Because I believe that's what God has promised about my future. Hello, I'm still in high school, and my grades aren't very good, and my family doesn't have any money to help me get there, but I believe I'm going to college, and so my name is College Freshman. Hello, I've put in a thousand resumes, and I've been told no a thousand times, but my name is New Employee. Hello, I know I'm sick a good bit, and the last few reports that I've gotten from the doctor haven't been good, but my name is healed. Hello, I know I struggle with some things in my life, but my name is free from addiction. What if you declared your identity to be based on the promises of God for your future and not on your past or your present circumstances. I want to ask the band to come. I don't know what your name has been. I don't know what you've been writing there. I don't know the things that you carry with you about a disappointment in your past of a Genesis 15 Abram that declares, God, you haven't been good to me. How dare you, God, say that you've been good to me? You promise me goodness, and yet I have no heir. I have no future. I have no blessing. I have no goodness coming from you, God. How dare you? And so I just continue to write Abram, pointing people to look back to see where I come from, because that's the only goodness I got going for me. Maybe my name's not even about any goodness, good or bad, in my past or my future because I can't point to any goodness. And so I just reference the things that I see in my life, a circumstance, some experiences that I believe have kind of warped me. I'm hurt. Hello, my name is divorced. Hello, my name is addicted. Hello, my name is single. Hello, my name is whatever it is that you think is this condition that defines you, it identifies you. So you just rest in that identity. What if we had enough faith today to trust God? To rest in the label of the future that he has for us. I mean, it takes a lot of faith to pick up a pen and to take one of these name tags and to write down a name that we know is not our present 
circumstance. Hello, my name is Father of the multitudes. Hello, my name is Healed. Hello, my name is Free. Hello, my name is Husband, Wife. Hello, my name is Employed. Hello, my name is Debt Free. Hello, my name is... It takes a lot of faith to write that when the present conditions don't match it. But my question today is, do you believe? Do you believe that the things that God speaks over you are true? Do you believe that the things that God declares about you can come to pass even when you, in your own understanding, cannot make it so? Or do we spend our lives living in Genesis 16, trying to make things happen for ourselves, kind of creating Ishmael's everywhere we go because we get in a hurry and we don't think God can do it on his own. And so we need to help. We need to help God come through on his promises because God can't do it on his own. Surely he said it, but he didn't mean it like this. He needs me to do the work. Or do I have enough faith just to trust God for my future? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking around, just for a moment. Man, I've really prayed about this moment here. I've, I, I told you, I've been excited about these Sundays for an entire year. And here's what I'm asking you to do with nobody, nobody looking around. If you would say to me right now, Jeremy, I, I don't know that I have enough faith to hold on to the promises of God. I, I'm not sure that I believe enough. I'm not sure that I think God can actually do what I believe he said he's going to do. Maybe I don't even know what he's promised, what he said, but I know that this present circumstance can't be it. And I don't know that I have enough faith. I I need God to grow my faith. I need God to show me some things about my future. I need God to help me to grow that trust in him. Because I want to write that name. I want to believe that I'm Abraham, the father of the multitudes, even when I got no kids yet. I want God to grow my faith. I just want you to lift your hand. You can put it right back down. There's a ton of hands. You can put them right back down. Now, with nobody else looking around, if you would say to me, today, Jerry, I, I, I need God to save me. You want to talk about life change. I, I need an identity change. I need to go from sinner to saved. I need to go from broken to whole. I need to go from lost to found. If that's you today and you would say, I know that I need Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Just lift your hand right where you're at put it right back down. Anybody else? I want to ask everybody in the room to stand, please. There's a lot of hands for both of these needs, both of these requests, and I want us to all pray together today. God, I pray for every person in this room, those that lifted their hands and those that did not. God, I pray today that you would help us to trust you with our lives. That God, those of us that are not in a relationship with you, that we need to receive you as the Lord and Savior of our life. We need to go from being lost to being found, from being a sinner to being saved. God, I pray today for every person that lifted their hand in that that need, God. I pray right now 
that you would respond to that. I thank you for the hands that have been lifted. It's one of the primary reasons that we exist is to continue to point to you, to illuminate you. Everything else we do is in vain, if not to say that our hope is in you. And so God, today, I pray for those people. I pray now that they would admit their their state as a sinner and that they would respond to your free gift of salvation today. God, I pray today that you would help all of us to receive that, not to try to earn it, but to receive the free gift that, God, you give to us. That, God, we would turn from our wicked ways and we would acknowledge you and, God, we would respond to that by receiving your love and loving you in return and honoring you with our lives. God, I thank you that you give to us salvation through your grace and through your mercy because of your great love. I pray for those in the room that raise their hand to say, I need to believe for my future. I don't even know what my future looks like maybe, but I, I'm believing that it's, it's different from where I'm at. And I want to write a new name. I want God to write a new name and declare a new name over me. And so I'm believing for my future. I am hoping towards my future. And even if my present circumstances don't match it, I'm asking God to do the work and to help me believe enough to only respond to the name that represents who I am becoming through Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for that. I pray that for every person in this room, myself included, that we would not believe the lies of the enemy or be confined or constrained by the mistakes of our past, but God, we would live in the promise of our future and what you say about us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.